Thanks for listening to this episode of Screen Facts with Jason Davis, your movie trivia and discussion podcast. Don't forget you can stream all episodes at jasondavisvoice.com slash podcast. And joining me again today on the podcast is my brother from another mother, my good pal, Mr. Tim Donnelly. Hello, hello. Welcome back, sir. Thank you. Great to be here again. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Always a pleasure to be here. Today we're going to talk about a movie that actually won the Best Picture Oscar. We're going to talk about American Beauty. Yep. American Beauty, of course, stars Kevin Spacey, Annette Benning, Thora Birch, Wes Bentley, Mina Savari, and Chris Cooper. Indeed. Released October 1st, 1999, directed by Sam Mendes, who was personally recommended, by the way, by executive producer Steven Spielberg. The great Steven Spielberg. Yes, indeed. And written by Alan Ball, who's done some other high-profile projects. Yeah, he went on from uh, from writing American Beauty and, by the way, winning the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay for American Beauty mm-hmm. to creating the HBO series The Acclaimed Six Feet Under and also a writer and, I think, a director for True Blood, also on HBO. So he's gone on to, uh, to some additional acclaim. Uh, after American Beauty. Yeah, and I can understand why. I mean, the script for this is is pretty amazing. So. You can't deny it. Great stuff. Yeah, filmed between December 1998 and February 1999. Estimated budget of $15 million. It grossed $130 million in the U.S. and a total of $226 million in foreign countries for a worldwide total of $356 million. That's pretty, a more than respectable box office that's for actually, this film. That's actually pretty amazing for a film of this nature. I mean, yeah. This is not like a big blockbuster, shoot em up, blow them up. It's not. It's, it's not the an opposite. action movie. Yeah, quite, quite the opposite. And I don't even know if you could really put this in into its its own box, this American beauty. It's It's got elements of, of drama, it's comedy, it's dark humor. It's a little something in here for everyone. Yeah, it's just a really well-done movie. Right. So the other Oscars, I mentioned that it won Best Picture. This and Silence of the Lambs are the only Best Picture winners in the 1990s not to be a period piece. Interesting. Okay. Uh, And it's the first Best Picture Oscar victory for a DreamWorks SKG production as well. Spielberg, Katzenberg, and Geffen. Yep. Kevin Spacey won Best Actor. Sam Mendes won Best Director. You mentioned Alan Ball won uh, Best Screenplay written directly for the screen. Right. And uh, Conrad L. Hall won for Best Cinematography as well. If I can just inter- interject of here. Course. This movie, while the cast is awesome, you got a lot of heavy hitters and you have Academy Award winners in there. This movie, and maybe we'll get into it later as far as I'm concerned, is really uh, Conrad Hall's movie. Okay. Conrad Hall, the cinematographer, in my opinion, is the big star here. He's and the hero. We'll talk about that later. Okay. Annette Benning, by the way, was also nominated for Best Actress. Yes. Thomas Newman was nominated for his score. Tariq Anwar and Christopher Greenberry were nominated for Best Editing as well. Now, this is an interesting thing. Despite all of the Oscar love, American Beauty was named one of the 20 most overrated movies of all time by Premier. Interesting. Which I don't understand at all. That's not the first time I've heard from someone or from people that American Beauty is overrated. And you and I did a podcast, the first podcast we did together about the Shawshank Redemption. Right. I've also heard from people the Shawshank Redemption is overrated. I mean, hey, different. I disagree. I know you disagree. Morons. <laughs> Ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates? Morons. <laughs> There's an idea for another podcast. Absolutely. Okay. That, that is going to go down for sure okay. in 2016, without All right. a doubt. So, um, did you see this in the theater when it came out? I did. I saw it about two or three times in the theaters oh, when wow. it first came out, and I, I was uh, blown away by it. Then. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually did not see it in the theater. Okay, I probably caught it on video before the Oscars or something, right? Because right. you know what, what's all the hype about or whatever. Sure. 
certainly you can enjoy it either way. It's not like it's uh, something you have to see on a big screen. Yeah, no, not necessarily. You wanted to talk about the cinematography. Let's talk about that a little bit. Was that something that like really struck you when you saw it in the theater? Or? It was something that struck me when I first saw it in the theater. I think the movie from start to finish, it just, it's got a mood. It's got a tone. If you listen to the director's commentary on the DVD or the Blu-ray, uh, Sam Mendes cannot stop praising Conrad Hall enough Okay, in his commentary. Just the way that the movie looks, especially the lighting of certain scenes. There's a couple of really cool bits of lighting in this movie. Yeah. According to his Oscar speech, Alan Ball was sitting at the World Trade Center Plaza when he saw a paper bag floating in the wind. Yeah. And that's uh, what inspired him to write the movie. And of course, that's a big scene in the film with Wes Bentley's character. Oh, great, great Ricky scene Fitz. in the film. Yeah. Um, Wes Bentley was the first actor to read for the part of Ricky and was asked to do the scene where he describes his reaction to the plastic bag. Okay. And the casting director felt that although she had read that scene numerous times, that his reading was the first time that she actually understood the meaning of the scene. So she read the scene in the screenplay, didn't quite get it. Right. And then he did it in the audition and knocked it out of the park. And exactly. she was like, okay. I get it. Yeah. Well, then there's Ricky Fitz. Exactly. Jake Gyllenhaal had also auditioned for the role, too, and he's a pretty great actor. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's a phenomenal actor. I could kind of see him yeah. in the part. He plays a lot of characters that are a little, you know, left of center. Sure, you know? sure. So, but yeah, Wes Bentley's terrific, Wes Bentley is great. He's great. He's got, he brings such a focus and, uh, and an in- intensity yeah. to this role. If I had to describe it in one word, it would be intense. A quiet intensity, though. Yes, quiet intensity. You know, sometimes, you know, you hear intensity and you think, oh, that's somebody chewing the scenery. But he's no. very, very, like, Not even at all. paced. Yeah, he underplays it yeah. whenever possible. It's and great. he's just phenomenal. And you believe him. And you believe Thora Birch's attraction to him. Yes. Because he's so confident. And she even says, there's like the scene in the movie where mm-hmm. she says, oh, he's so confident. And right. Like, he doesn't care if whether or not she, uh, as uh, Mike DeMone would say, come stays laser praise. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe there's another podcast. That's next week's episode. Okay. Obviously, Kevin Spacey and Annette Bening, you know that they're going to knock it out of the park. But yeah. then you got these young actors that you're really not that familiar with when you see this movie. Yes. They are right in there. If they gave an Academy Award for Best Ensemble Performance, oh, yeah. I, I would give it to this cast for American Beauty. Yeah. So Kevin Spacey and Annette Bening were both the first choices of Sam Mendes for the roles of Lester and Carolyn. Nice. Although the role of Lester Burnham was originally offered to Chevy Chase and Tom Hanks. <laughs> Chevy Chase? No. Yeah. Totally, total, much, much love to Chevy Chase, yeah, let's... but a totally different movie. Oh, absolutely. Chevy Chase has never really done drama, has he? He did a, a John Carpenter film, I think, in the 1990s called Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Oh, okay, I remember that. Which maybe was an attempt at drama. Yikes! I didn't see that. I didn't see the movie, so I can't say for sure. Which I'm trying to remember if I saw those. that or not. Well, if I did, you remember I, the movie Memoirs of an Invisible I, Man. I definitely remember yeah. the movie. And but... Daryl Hannah was in it also. I think. Okay. I don't see Chevy Chase. I mean, maybe he would surprise you. Who knows? Maybe. But who would have thought Bill Murray could be a great dramatic actor? Yeah, that's true. Good. So point. there you go. But Tom Hanks probably again would have been good. But right. Listen, Kevin Spacey though. Kevin Spacey is the man. <laughs> I love he's Kevin the Spacey. Man. And he's, he's got an Academy Award, his second Academy Award to prove it. Yeah. I mean, he's great in this. I don't think I've ever seen him in a role where he wasn't good. Kevin Spacey is always good in everything that he does. Yeah. Even if the movie's not good. Right. He's, he's great. He's one of those actors where even if the movie he's in is not great, he's great in the movie. Right. And he'll elevate it a little bit. Yes. One man does not a movie make. No. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Fortunately, no. You know, in some cases. Right. 
You so, said that the role was originally offered to Chevy Chase and Tom Hanks. Right. Tom Hanks would eventually go on to be directed by Sam Mendes in the 2002 movie Road to Perdition, which I also love. Okay, yeah. I, that was also a very good movie. Yeah. Kevin Costner, Woody Harrelson, John Travolta, Jeff Daniels, and Bruce Willis were also considered for the role of Lester Burnham. Hmm. Always interesting to hear uh, some of the names that get thrown around. Right? As potential again, casting choices. Again, there's some good actors in that list. Quality actors, but you wonder how different is the movie if those guys are in the role. I think Bruce Willis probably would be good in in terms of the snarkiness. Right. But it's kind of silly to even speculate. Because sure, because it didn't great. play out that way, so we'll never no, know. I mean, and Kevin Spacey's phenomenal, so. Right. Holly Hunter and Helen Hunt were also considered for the role of Carolyn Burnham. So. Two Academy Award winners. There you go. And uh, this is interesting. Helen Hunt worked with Kevin Spacey in Pay It Forward. That's right. So there was also some other people considered for some of the other roles. Okay. Kirsten Dunst, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Brittany Murphy, and Katie Holmes were all offered the role of Angela, but turned it down. All right. I can see that. Tiffany Thiessen and Kate Hudson also auditioned for that part. Interesting. Did not know that. Before Thora Birch got the part, Jessica Biel was originally cast as Jane, <laughs> but had to drop out due to conflicts with Seventh Heaven. Okay, so she had the role. Yeah, she but had, had the role, to drop but, out. Uh, but Aaron Spelling, who produced Seventh Heaven, uh, was like, nah, no. Okay. <laughs> and because he's Aaron Spelling, he gets what he wants. Yeah, so pretty much. Have it. I was reading another thing that I thought was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm about the script. Originally, when Alan Ball sat down and started writing this, originally he set out to write the story of Amy Fisher and Joey Buttafuoco. Oh, man. You remember and, that? Yeah. yeah. I remember that pretty well. The, the Long Island Lolita. Long Island Lolita, sure. And it kind of evolved into what we see in this movie. And thank goodness for that. Oh, hell yeah. We don't need any more biopics of people that don't need to be famous. Right. But you can kind of see little bits and pieces, sort of, in this. Still. Yeah. If you, as the tagline says, if you look closer. Right. Squint hard <laughs> and you can see it. But yeah, um, I just thought that was kind of interesting. That, yeah, that you know, is interesting. It kind of evolved into something obviously a lot better right. than what it would have been. Thank, thankfully. Yeah, the hand and stomach on the film's poster belonged to actress model Chloe Hunter, not Mina Savari. Not Mina Savari's. Okay. Yeah. So obviously, anytime... I'm going to talk about a movie on the podcast. I'll watch the movie again. Sure. Most of these movies I've seen more than once. Yeah, you and me both. But it's always good to to watch it again because sometimes, you know, maybe you see something you didn't see before. Yeah. Every time you watch it, you pick up little things here and there that, like you said, you didn't notice before, but that are interesting or meaningful or deep. Admittedly, I watch the movie and enjoy the movie. I don't really sit there like taking notes per se. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I really want to experience the movie. Right. I do all the research either ahead of time or after watching. I look up all these trivia facts. You kind of go about it a little bit differently than I do when you watch <laughs> a movie in preparation for the podcast. So I guess. So, you know, you came here and you had a couple of notes of things you wanted to talk about. Yeah. So, so let's jump in. Okay. <laughs> just just some things that I thought were interesting about mm-hmm. the movie. You know, this movie is directed by Sam Mendes. Uh, he would go on to direct another movie about how life in the suburbs isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Uh, I forget when it came out, either 2008 or 2009, but the movie's called Revolutionary Road. Okay. With Kate Winslet, whom he would later go on to to marry. I don't know okay. if they were married at the time. Yeah, I don't remember when they got married. Okay, but... neither do I. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> but he would go on to direct that movie with Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio. So I guess if uh, if you want a movie just like 
Frank Darabont is your go-to guy for Stephen <laughs> King prison films. Sam <laughs> Mendes apparently is your guy for movies about how uh, if you look closer beneath the sheen of the suburbs, there's uh, there's some not good stuff going on behind closed doors. Yeah, he's kind of your suburban prison guy. Right, exactly. <laughs> and speaking of, of prisons, Sam Mendes has said, he says this in the director's commentary, this movie really is about people escaping from imprisonment. Yeah. That's the central theme of the movie, rites of passage and people escaping from imprisonment. The opening shot of the film is the neighborhood from above, and Mm -hmm. it looks like a series of prison bars. Oh, okay. The way the streets are set up, the way the trees are set up, and Lester, in the very beginning of the movie, is also shown in, in a series of prisons or prison cells. He's in a shower, kind of trapped. He's behind a window looking out. He looks like he's in prison. He's trapped in a car. He's trapped in a cubicle. And if you look when he's in his cubicle, the reflection of him in the computer screen, there are numbers on the screen and data that, oh, nice. that look like vertical bars. Okay. And his reflection in the screen looks like he is in prison. See, now I didn't look close enough, clearly, because <laughs> I missed that. Look closer. I did notice that in his cubicle, there is a sign that says, that says look closer. Look closer. That was something that, that was an accident. Like that was just put in there by the set designer. Yeah. And they actually saw that and said, oh, let's make that yeah, the tag Sam of the Mendes film. or uh, Alan Ball, you're right. Somebody said that that's it. That's yeah. the tagline right there. Yeah, which is very cool. That's great stuff. Yeah. So uh, the title of the film refers to a breed of roses that while pretty and appealing in appearance, <laughs> are often prone to rot underneath at the roots and the branches of the plant. Well, talk about the theme of the movie. Hence, look closer. Yeah, look closer, right. We all look at, and see the, the Mercedes in the driveway and right. the perfectly manicured lawn. They and must the have rose. such a wonderful life. Right. Look how happy the family is. But right. if you look closer, yep. all is not what it appears to be. And speaking of looking closer, one of the other themes in the movie is that People are constantly looking at themselves or others in mirrors or in the reflections of windows, constantly criticizing not only their own appearances, but the appearances of others. That's another theme that runs through the movie. Yeah. You know, I thought it was kind of interesting that they showed Jane, Mm -hmm. Laura Birch's character. Here she is, a teenage girl, and she's talking about getting a boob job. Right, right. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. What other things did you notice? I have to give some credit here to... Sam Mendes and the director's commentary because he would kind of clue me into things that I needed to look closer at. Uh, The first time Lester meets Ricky at the cocktail party, Ricky is dressed in white. Okay. Almost like an angel who has come to save Lester. <laughs> okay. And offer him salvation. And he finds salvation in the form of a joint. Which is interesting. Which, <laughs> <laughs> which kind of marks the moment when Lester begins to to change his life. In fact, in the, the director's commentary, Sam Mendez and Alan Ball refer to this as the joint of destiny. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and as they're talking and getting high, uh, a lot of people said that they thought that Wes Bentley and... Kevin Spacey were really high in that scene, (laughs) but they're really not. Right. That's just two great actors playing it off like they are. Yeah. They were actually smoking uh, honey tobacco. Is that what what it was? That's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Um, Uh, That's some strong ass honey tobacco. Yeah. I mean, they they look stoned. (laughs) Well, that's acting. Acting. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And while they're stoned, 
the movie that they're talking about, that horror movie. Reanimator. The Reanimator. <laughs> the, the 1985 cult classic yes. Reanimator. That's a real movie. It's an actual movie. I remember seeing it on video. I was. I like, did too. You seen it? Oh, yeah. Okay. I Listen, was a I huge worked... horror fan in the 1980s, man, and that movie just knocked my socks off. I went through a phase of being into all kinds of cheesy horror flicks. Sure. Because back in the day, in the 80s, I worked at a couple of video stores. Uh, oh, You know, man. free rentals. So I was like, oh, oh give me that. That's like you know? paradise in Absolutely. the 1980s, It was, it was awesome. Kids' dream job to work at a video store. Absolutely. It was great. Hello, and... Kevin Smith, Quentin Tarantino. Yep, exactly. Wow. Yeah, unfortunately, I have not become quite as successful as those two cats, but... Jason... <laughs> Look closer. <laughs> in your in your own way, you are ridiculously successful. Thank you, Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Mendes designed the two girls' look to change over the course of the film. Thora Birch gradually uh, was using less makeup. Mm -hmm. Amina Savari was gradually using more to emphasize his view of their shifting perceptions of themselves. Right. Uh, another one of the uh, the key themes and elements that runs throughout the movie is people reevaluating how they look, looking in mirrors, looking in reflections. And yeah, that, that's a great point. As Mena Savari's character tries more and more to cover up who she is. Right. And Thor Burgess' character gradually becomes more and more loose and comfortable in her own skin. Yeah. It's funny to me how Mena Savari's character, she's all high and mighty and, and all, you know, into herself. Yeah. And then it's probably because Ricky pays no mind to her. Yeah. She just gets knocked down right. bit by bit. She hates the fact yeah. that as much as she lambates him and calls him a psycho and says he's probably a murderer, right. she hates the fact that Ricky pays her no attention, sees right through her superficial bullshit, and falls in love with Jane, with yeah. Thor Birch's character. Yeah. Yeah. And along those lines, there's a great scene in the movie where Angela says in frustration, I'm so sick of everybody taking out their insecurities on me. <laughs> when it's obviously totally the other way around, she's taking all her insecurities out on other people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's a scene in the movie where she's posing in front of the window thinking that, that Ricky yes. is, is, you know, oh, he's spying on us. Oh, and she, right. and she starts hamming it up in front. Yep. And the camera zooms it in zooms right past. Right past her. And right on into Thor Birch's uh, reflection in the mirror, or yeah. Jane's reflection in the mirror. That scene was actually shot, handheld, by, by Sam, Sam Mendes. Mendes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Which is very cool. As was the scene with the plastic bag. Oh, okay. Shot, handheld by Sam Mendes himself. Makes sense. I think he said uh, he went through four different locations over four different days trying to find the right bag and the right leaves and the right wall and the right color wall, and finally it just all came together. So cool. There's another great scene toward the end of the movie where after Ricky has finally stood up to his father, mm -hmm. Chris Cooper, Colonel Frank Fitz, mm -hmm. after he finally stands up to his father and he grabs Jane and says, you know, if we had to leave tonight, would you come with me? And Jane says, yes. Angela says, yeah, well, at least I'm not ugly. And Ricky very calmly and very matter-of-factly says to Angela, yes, you are. And you're boring and you're totally ordinary and you know it. <laughs> oh, and it's so good. And it's funny because she says a line early on in the movie where uh, the worst thing to be is ordinary. Right, right, right. Because she right. thinks apparently that she's not. Right. That's great. Great, 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 great takedown by Ricky Fitz, who, and a tribute to Wes Bentley, he, he just totally underplays it. Yep. Totally underplays it and knocks her out. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I don't really recall seeing Wes Bentley in a lot of other things after this. 
most recently, he was in the, the first Hunger For, Games. Hunger Games, right. But like, was he? did he do a lot of stuff after this that you, that you remember seeing him in? Honestly, off the top of my head, I can't really yeah. think of much. Other than, like you said recently, the Hunger Games, and he's on the, the current season of American Horror Story. Oh, okay. And Thora Birch, too. You know, they were both very good in this movie. Yeah. And, you know, you would think a, a high-profile Oscar movie like this. Right. That the young people in the movie that more than held their own with the, you know, heavy hitters. Oh, yeah. You would think that they would have that would have been like a launching thing for them, you know. Yeah, I I can't really name anything. Yeah, shame on me calling myself a movie fan. No, I mean I I'm I'm the same way, and, yeah. and no disrespect to. Well, good. Either then shame them. on you too. Yeah, shame on me. <laughs> Thora Birch was uh, barely seventeen when they were filming this movie, and because she was a minor, her parents had to approve that little topless scene that she right, was in the movie right. as well. According to Sam Mendes, Thora Birch, she really went for it and was totally comfortable. Mm-hmm. She understood why the scene was important, and she said, no, I want to do the scene as written in the script. I'm comfortable. It's important to the movie, and yeah, she just went for it. There's so many great lines in this movie. Oh, we could go on. I love Kevin Spacey, The you know, when he goes, when Annette Benning. <laughs> comes home and goes, whose car is that in the driveway? (laughs) It's mine. It's the car I wanted, and now I have it. I I rule. (laughs) In that same scene, by the way, he's fooling around with a remote control car. Yes. And the car hits her leg or runs over her foot. That was not in the script. Oh, okay. That was it was unintentional that Kevin Spacey hits her with the remote control car. Oh, that's very cool. But Sam Mendes said it just it worked for the scene. Yeah, it's great. So, so we left it in. It's amazing that he managed to do that. Yeah. That's cool. And you see that this little sly kind of shit-eating grin cross Kevin Spacey's face when he hits her leg with the remote control car. Yeah. Sort of along the same lines, I don't know, bloopers or things that weren't supposed to happen. The scene where <laughs> She catches him masturbating in bed <laughs> under the covers. Yeah. Sam Mendez said that Annette Benning could not stop laughing. Oh, I can imagine. Because she said just something about the sound oh, sure. of his hand going back and forth under the covers, right. faking that. She could not stop laughing. <laughs> On top of that, Mendez told Spacey, now we're going to film this scene a, you know, several different times. Do me a favor. Try to come up with as many different ways to tell her you're masturbating right. as possible. And Benning couldn't stop laughing. Oh, yeah. yeah. So like waxing the carrot. Right, right. And the bitch, joking the bitch, and, yeah. and all that. So he was trying to come up with as many of those that, as you possibly can. Yeah. You know, that's the thing about Kevin Spacey. You know, people don't realize, uh, obviously, his improvisation skills. Oh, yeah. But he's an amazing impressionist. Yeah, he, he really is. You know, if you know anything about Kevin Spacey, you've seen him either on Saturday Night Live or inside the actor's studio. Yeah. If you haven't, do yourselves a favor. YouTube. After you listen to this podcast, That's of right. course. Right, of course. Yeah, go to YouTube and check that out. He is so versatile and talented. Yeah, Kevin Spacey impressions. Look that up oh, on YouTube. so good. He's phenomenal. He improvised everything he does in the car when uh, his character is singing American Woman when he's lit. Yeah, that's totally Spacey. Yeah. That's all Kevin Spacey. That's great. And then the scene when he throws the asparagus, mm-hmm. he was supposed to throw it on the floor. Right. But he uh, chucks that at the wall. He chucks it at the wall, and the reactions of Annette Benning and Thora Birch are actually are genuine. Yeah, they're That's, not acting. Yeah, yeah, they weren't expecting that. Yeah, I love stuff like that. Yeah, when you hear about stuff like that. In yeah, movies. yeah. There's a few things throughout the movie that are improvised by the actors. Yeah, and the credit to Sam Mendes that he a let the actors improvise and b knew enough to know when he had gold. Right, and those improvisations are kept in the movie. Yeah, the scene where Lester is putting in the application at Smiley Burger. Oh, one of my favorite scenes. This is a, a good example of, of the heroics of Conrad Hall. That was shot at night, 
and then they fixed it to make it look like daytime. I totally believe it. Conrad oh, Hall is, is, is a genius of image and shadow and lighting. Just all throughout the movie, there yeah. are examples of that, where characters literally disappear into shadow and silhouette and how the light just kind of catches the corner of some of the actors' eyes. Oh, just a phenomenal yeah. job. Yeah, very, very cool stuff. And by the way, Smiley Burger is a Carl's Jr. It's Carl's Jr., <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Another cool scene uh, in the movie is, and I'm kind of jumping around all over the place here, but that's all right. Yeah, that's all right. The scene when Ricky and Lester get high the first time at the real estate the, the cocktail party yeah, the or cocktail whatever party, it is. Yeah. yeah. And they're outside and the, uh, the guy, his boss, Ricky's boss comes out, says, I'm not paying you to stand here and uh, talk or whatever. Don't pay me then. Yeah. And he just quits right, right on the spot. Right. He quits right there. And when Lester says, you just became my you hero. You just became my personal hero. Yeah. yeah. How many of us w- have wanted to do that in our life? Yeah. It's awesome. And Lester kind of sees this young kid as 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 a hero yeah. and a role model. Yeah. And for a little while in the movie, there really is almost like a role reversal where Kevin Spacey regresses mm-hmm. back into his childhood. He's smoking pot. He's talking about the car he had and how he used to party and get laid all summer. And yep. he goes and gets a job at the burger joint mm-hmm. and how Ricky fits because of his situation and his father is so domineering and the mother who's catatonic, Ricky Fitz has had to mature and grow wise beyond his years. And like I said, there's a little role reversal where Lester kind of becomes the kid and Ricky Fitz is almost like the adult in that relationship. Yeah, I think the main theme that runs through the whole movie is that sometimes we kind of lose ourselves in our life. Yeah. You know, and we, I'm I'm sure we've all felt that way. Yeah, at, at one point or another. You and I have talked about it in previous podcasts, yeah. too. I'd like that he, Lester, kind of rediscovers himself. Yes. And, and breaks out of his kind of uh, self-imposed cocoon or yeah, whatever. Yeah, out of the, the, the series of prisons that he finds yeah. himself in and reasserts himself. Yeah. Which I think makes the, the ending of the movie... All the more tragic. Yeah. I don't think the movie could have ended any other way. No. But it it makes the ending, uh, like I said, all the more tragic and sad. Yeah. And that's what secures the Oscar for Alan Ball as well. Yeah. Let's be honest. Beautifully written movie as well. Incredible. Chris Cooper was the last actor that was cast. Virtually when rehearsals were beginning, Mm -hmm. uh, when he first read the script, he thought, God, I don't want to spend so much time in this character's head. Yeah. His wife actually said, you should take the role. You're an idiot if you don't do yeah, this. This is, a, this is a, a, probably going to be a pivotal role in your career, and, yeah. and it was. I mean, he's gone on to do some other things. Chris Cooper would go on to win an Academy Award for acting, and he would appear in another Sam Mendes film, uh, I think 2005's Jarhead. Okay. It's interesting. Jake Gyllenhaal, who we mentioned that earlier. Jake Gyllenhaal, yes. Yeah. Um, I think that that's what happens in Hollywood a lot, though. If a director likes an actor that he's worked with or she's worked with, they tend to go back to those people. Yes. And sometimes it's not even if they worked with them, if they had a good audition, but they maybe weren't right for the, the first for, movie. For that part. Right. They, they keep you in mind for another part. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it definitely pans yeah, out. Yeah, these things out. come full circle often. On the, the commentary, I don't know if you heard this, uh, Alan Ball says that Angela's line, you're defending him. <laughs> yeah. You love him. You want to have like 10,000 10, of his, his babies. babies. That was actually taken from a U2 concert. Alan Ball heard a fan yeah. scream that at Bono, right? <laughs> I want to have 10,000 of your babies! Something like exactly. that. Exactly. Which is kind of funny. See, it's funny where you get inspiration. Inter- yeah, where you, you get never inspiration know. from. Yeah, the shot where Annette Benning screams after uh, she fails to sell the house, that was done in one take. One take. The amazing Annette Benning. Yeah, she's And great. it was just her alone in that room mm-hmm. while the crew, I think, was just in another room watching it on monitors. Okay. And they knew that they had gold. 
there and yeah. Annette Benning just nails it. It's very sad. And even more amazing in that scene is after she has that breakdown, you see her put her face back together, mm-hmm. compose herself, yep. literally put herself back together and then <sighs> she walks away. Yeah. Oh. That whole sequence of her getting the house ready for the open house yes. is phenomenal too. Oh, it's, she's so great. I don't know who won the best actress Oscar that year. Hillary Swank? Hillary Swank. Yeah, that's for, right. For, for Boys Don't for Cry. For Boys Don't Cry. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Great performance. Well-deserved. Mm-hmm. But you really, really had to kick ass that year to beat Annette Bening. She right. is awesome. Exactly. And for my money, I think should have won the Oscar. The Academy, I think, goes for sometimes showier roles. Sure. You know, so Hillary Swank is playing, you know, um, a transgender. She was a female okay. pretending to be a male. Okay. So, you know. And based on a true story. Right. Based on and a there, true and story. And that's the other thing, too. Right. No offense to Hillary Swank, but we love Annette Benning in this movie. Yes, we do. She's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> the Spartanettes dance routine on Broadway. <laughs> that was choreographed by Paula Abdul. And I believe choreographed on purpose to look like a cheesily choreographed oh, yeah. cheerleading I'm, routine. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. All the high school stuff was shot at South High School in Torrance, California. Okay. Well. So there's a couple of really cool um, things in this movie that tie into future events. Yeah, we've talked about things coming full circle. Right. When Lester and Carolyn are driving to uh, to the basketball game to see Jane's cheerleading routine, Lester complains that uh, I'm missing the James Bond marathon on TNT, which is, <laughs> is a great line. Uh, Sam Mendes, the director of American Beauty, he would go on to direct two James Bond films, Skyfall uh-huh. and Spectre. And also... When driving home from the shooting range, Carolyn is listening to Bobby Darren's rendition of Don't Rain on My Parade. Yes. Five years after the release of American Beauty, Kevin Spacey produced, wrote, and directed, as well as starred in, as Bobby Darren, in the biopic Beyond the Sea. Yeah, talk about coming full circle. It's just, I just love when stuff like that happens. Great to see. You know, obviously they can never predict that that's going to happen. No, of course not. But these are great screen facts. Thank you, sir. (laughs) So was there any other stuff that when you were watching that grabbed your attention? Yeah, there's uh, a couple of other things. One of the things um, that I noticed really quick is that the the um, the use of the color red. Yeah, the color red is, uh, is almost a character in and of itself mm-hmm. throughout the film to indicate passion or to foreshadow something that perhaps is going to happen in the future or to call you to look closer ah, at something. Okay. The red door, the red roses, the red lighting, um, the color of Kevin Spacey's car that he always wanted is red. Red plays a major role in the film. In the original script, Jane and Ricky are arrested and jailed for Lester's murder. They decided ultimately not to go with that. I'm glad. But the beginning of the movie, the the opening scene is Ricky filming Jane, Mm -hmm. which they'll come back to later in the film and says, oh, uh, uh, do you want me to... Kill your father. Right. And Jane says, yeah, would you? And bam, then the movie starts. Right. Kind of leaving you with a feeling of, Oh, that's hmm, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they were originally arrested and jailed for, for Lester's murder. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad they didn't go that way. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Uh, I, all the decisions they made to either leave things in or take things out are perfect. Yeah. Perfect just the way it is. Excellent. I love how at the beginning of the third act of the film, the third and final act, when the camera hovers over the neighborhood, it goes right into the red door 
mm-hmm. of the Burnham's house, and Lester is doing a voiceover about how, uh, you know, remember those posters that say today is the first day of the rest of your life? Well, that's true of every day, of course, except one, the day you die. Right. And then Lester comes out jogging to the strains of the Who's The Seeker. Right. And the line in the song is, they call me The Seeker, I've been searching low and high, I won't get to get what I'm after till the day I die. Good stuff. Great stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. And Sam Mendes said he could think of no better song to encapsulate the theme of the movie at that point. Yep. To start the third and final act. And because of a previous relationship he had with Pete Townsend, I think through theater in London or something, he said Pete Townsend let him use this song for such a dirt cheap bargain price. That's cool. And he was grateful to Pete Townsend for letting him use the song. Oh, that's good. That yeah. redeems Pete Townsend in my mind. Because <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I had heard that he wouldn't allow Kiss to use Bob O'Reilly for Detroit Rock City. Oh, okay. Because he didn't consider them a real band. Meanwhile, Kiss... In every interview, pretty much, say how much they love. How much they love and, you know, and the Who and, and, and yeah. Pete Townsend. Yeah. So, but whatever. Yeah. There, I mentioned Kiss in the podcast. <laughs> I got it in there. <laughs> you had to get it in there. <laughs> Your boys. Lester's catharsis of happiness at the end of the film reminds me of a Hemingway story called The Short Happy Life of Francis McCumber. It was published in 1936, and in that story, just like in American Beauty, the main character transforms from a man who is, I guess you could say, henpecked, Kandor has lost his way uh, to a man who reclaims his masculinity and asserts control over his life, who is also shot and killed shortly after he realizes what it finally means to be happy and to appreciate what he has. goes back to what you said earlier about how the ending is, you know, even more tragic because of Lester's rediscovery of himself. Yes. And he finally gets it. And then boom. Yeah, and the way they show that scene is is awesome, too. I mean, uh, you see it happen, but then they show all the reactions from the different people in the yes, story. Yes, they show it from the, from different perspectives of all the other characters. Very, very cool. Ah, uh, it's great stuff. Ricky gives the speech uh, in the middle of the film about how, you know, if you look hard enough, there there's beauty mm-hmm. everywhere. And even in Lester's murder, he finds beauty as he kneels down and, and kind of looks at Lester's reflection yeah. in the pool of his own blood. And for a second, he recognizes that as being beautiful. If you look closer, before the camera leaves it, there's a single tear coming out of Kevin Spacey's eye and running down his nose. Now, this is the great thing about the podcast. Yeah. I want to watch the movie again because yeah. I missed all of this <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, all the stuff that you that you brought up, you right. know, it's amazing. So check it out. American Beauty, man. Great movie. Great stuff. If you have any questions or comments, you want to join the conversation, you can email screenfacts at yahoo.com. Tweet me at Jason Davis Voice. You can also please like us and comment on Facebook at facebook.com slash screenfacts. Also, please rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes. And if you enjoyed this podcast or other episodes, please let people know. Tell other people about the podcast. Spread the word. Yeah. Thanks again to our announcer, Kim, from kimsvoice.com. Remember, it's kymsvoice.com. Well, brother, thanks for coming in for another podcast. Always great to do this with you. I really appreciate you taking the time. I really appreciate you wanting to have me on oh, the podcast. Oh, you kidding me? You know, you're one of my favorites, man. Thanks, man. So I'm looking forward to the next one. We'll have to look at that list, that long list of that movies. long list of potential podcasts. Which we're probably going to add movies to, let's face it. Of course we will. And we'll figure out what we're going to do next. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll have to uh, look closer. There you go. <laughs> Shit, I couldn't resist just one Bam! More. That's the line where if you were holding a microphone, you would drop it. <laughs> it's perfect. 
Tim out. Screen Facts with Jason Davis is a production of Jason Davis VoiceOver. Visit jasondavisvoice.com if you need a voice for a commercial, narration, promo, internet video, e-learning or training program, and more. Click on the podcast page to get information about where you can download and listen to past episodes. Listen again next Wednesday for a new episode of Screen Facts with Jason Davis.